0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Casual and the Diehards. My name is Eric Jensen, the end zone podcast, basketball podcast. We are now almost through the first round of the NBA playoffs. Lots to talk about. Join today back with our regular panelists, Aramis, Ethan, and Audrey. How are we all doing, Aramis? How, how are things going? How was your weekend?
1: Man, it's been all right, though. I can't complain about nothing. I'm just over here sad. An NFL team will never come to Salt Lake, but you know how it goes.
0: Uh, sometimes you, you just gotta be realistic sometimes. And that, 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 that one, I just, don't, I just don't see happening. Ethan, how, how, how
2: has your weekend been? I mean, it, it was better after the Warriors uh, narrowly escaped with victory today, but uh, I've just been working on homework, man. This is my last weekend of really buckling down and getting stuff done, and then I'm free from the shackles of being a student. So we're almost there.
0: Hell yeah, let's go. That's great. Audrey, what's up?
3: Nothing much. Just enjoying a nice, relaxing weekend. Uh, Got a little bit of warm weather here in Seattle, so that was nice. But yeah, life's good. All right,
0: let's get into this here. Last week, you know, this podcast, we are all kind of West Coast people. Uh, But the focus of last week And I think most of these weeks until the series in the East get better is going to be the Western Conference. So I wanted to flip it on us a little bit because I feel like the talking points in the East are shorter. Uh, So I wanted to start with the Eastern Conference and start with, obviously, the biggest story, I think, right now out of really the NBA, because it's just been a while since we've been in this position, but... The Knicks are back. Like, the Knicks are just fully back. Uh, Took a 3-1 series lead on the Cleveland Cavaliers today. They have put defensively the Cavaliers in a torture chamber for, like, the entirety of the series. It has been not a lot of fun to watch if you're a Cleveland Cavaliers fan or someone that wanted Donovan Mitchell to do well. It has also not been a great series series. For people who are Donovan Mitchell fans because the Donovan Mitchell doubters out there can point to well he's just really bad in crunch time and often fades away later the later you get into a playoff series and he's not really a playoff player because he doesn't the defenses just get tougher um the Knicks have a 3-1 lead I know it's the Knicks so anything could happen. They could blow a three-one lead, obviously. Um, but I mean, I guess my question for you is, Ethan, don't you wish you went to the Knicks? Uh, that, that, that's uh, that's going around on on social media.
2: Bing bong, Knicks fans are they stay undefeated, man? Um, it's just it's so fun to see all these videos coming out because. I mean, the Knicks are on the precipice of advancing to the second round for the first time in how long? I mean, I I don't remember the last time that they made it out of the first round. So um, it's a good time to be a New York basketball fan. They have really, really locked up the Cavaliers in this series. I mean, you mentioned it on Mitchell. Garland shot horribly in both of these games in New York, especially in game three. Um, It's just been a defensive masterclass. Josh Hart, that trade's looking better and better by the day. Um, they have the personnel to just really shut the water off, especially on a team like Cleveland that's so guard dependent. Um, it's it's just been like a really fun series to watch if you're into like smash mouth basketball, is what I call it, like stuff from the '80s and '90s where it's just defensive, you know, clinics being put on, um, you know, by Cleveland in just one of the games so far, and, and New York has really brought it in in three out of the four, and that's why they're up three one. So, um, I think the Knicks should be able to finish them off. Maybe not in game five. We'll see, but. I think the Knicks are in position to win this series and uh, we're going to see some rioting in the streets of New York. So it's going to be fun. Audrey.
3: I think that's exactly right. We as NBA fans and fans of entertaining content are blessed to have a good New York Knicks team because the the people of New York will do absolutely anything to embarrass themselves every time the Knicks win and it's wonderful, but no, I think they're the real deal, you know, and I, I, was absolutely a Knicks doubter through most of the season and even coming into the playoffs based on, you know, a lot of evidence of them just not being able to really glue it together. Uh, not a very traditionally star driven roster, but they have really put it together. I think the Josh Hart trade somehow he he's, it, it was worth more than Josh Hart because he seems to be bringing together a whole new level of team chemistry they're playing together, they're more enthusiastic, and he's just a fantastic player and a, and a glue guy that could really obviously elevate any team. And I, I'm i really excited to see the Knicks uh, about to potentially move on to the second round for the first time, and who knows how long. Shout out to Tom Thibodeau as well. I know he gets
0: some hate sometimes as a head coach, but he actually, I thought you made a really impressive decision today. Early in this game, Julius Randle was seeing a lot of minutes, and that was not really helping the Knicks out but then he took Julius Randle out and opted for like a lineup of RJ Barrett in that spot instead and that group totally closed out the game that's another guy RJ Barrett I think has been the, the one singular player that you guys po- pointed out Josh Hart I think RJ Barrett has had just an incredible series for the Knicks and I think that's a draft pick that while it was high and he might not be like a first like a household name NBA all-star like I just think he's developed into a really solid basketball player and a good defender and someone who today got got close to 30 points for them so I, I I thought RJ Barrett played extremely well as well uh Aramis how are you feeling about the Donovan Mitchell performances in this series, because honestly, they've been a little bit up and down, obviously he starts that first game scoring almost 40 points, but they end up losing the second game, they win, but he's more of a distributor. And then these last two games, he's really like, in the second half today, he was held to two points, like it, it, it was not not the best. Uh, it has not been the best weekend for Donovan Mitchell.
1: No, man, it really has Homeboy, I don't know, It just, they, like everybody said here, they, the Knicks have made a defense, the uh, Knicks have had a defensive masterclass and have really been taking it to them, and I, I was thinking it might be chalked up to the ex- lack of experience that the team as a whole has had, but I mean, it's particularly interesting that it's happening to Mitchell, the the who should be the adult in the room for the Cleveland Cavaliers, just, I don't know, man, the Knicks have done a great job, I hate to admit it, but they just they just got this series on up, now.
0: Yeah, I I think that's really interesting. And it, it, if you're the Cavs, I know we we won't talk until uh, next Sunday. So we we might sound. I I know there are a few series that are three one right now, and I I have a feeling that we all feel like we know the outcome of these three one series. Uh, but there is a chance that all of us look extremely stupid in about a week. So I just want to put that out here as a podcast disclaimer, but let's talk about the Cavs season as if it's over because it kind of feels like it's over. What does the summer have to look like for them to, you know, all season and I'll go to Ethan on this because Ethan, you, you, you kind of emphasized and we're on the Cavs bandwagon all season as a team, but you thought, looked like they could make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and potentially, you know, compete for a spot in, in, uh, in the finals. Uh, what do they need to do to get, did they just run into a bad matchup here? Do they need more scoring help? What need, do they just need to get older? Like what, what needs to happen for the Cavs to take that next step? Because this year, obviously are an impressive year. It's the first time they've made the playoffs without LeBron since what, like 1999 That that's crazy, but what what is
2: the Cavs' outlook now? You know, I'm fascinated to see where the Cavs go from here. I think their offseason is going to be super interesting because the way I look at it, they have a core four. And I would be absolutely shocked if any of those guys don't return to the team next season. Obviously, Mitchell's going to stay. Obviously, Garland's going to stay. Obviously, Evan Mobley's going to stay. Jarrett Allen, I doubt they entertain trade proposals for him. Out of the four, maybe he's the most likely they could look at moving. But I I think they will bring those four back for sure. And then outside of that... I mean, people have kind of said this about this Cavs roster all year. They're lacking a good wing player. They're lacking a good small forward who can, you know, all you really need to do is shoot and play defense. And they have a couple of guys that can do one or the other and not really both. Um, if you look at the the wings that have been getting minutes in this series, it's like, okay, Karis Levert, he's pretty all right. Jetty Osman, Isaac Okoro's fine, but none of these are knocking your socks off you know you I, I think they really need to go out there and look for a quality 3 and D wing easier said than done every team is looking for those guys but I think that really is is a piece that could tie this Cleveland roster together because if you look at those four stars that I mentioned it's two guards and two bigs and everybody in the NBA needs wings and I think the Cavs you know probably more so than anybody need a big wing to really just tie this roster together so uh where they're going to be able to obtain that, I'm not sure whether that's via the draft. I'm not sure if you can you can trust a rookie that early, but you know, going out there in free agency, maybe you pursue a trade using like Karis Levert's salary or something like that. Maybe Jetty Osman, um, Dangle. You know, they don't have a ton of first round picks after the Mitchell trade, but see what they can do. I, I think they're gonna be active in, in trying to find a way to bolster this roster.
3: Or hear me out, instead, they go on the trade market and get themselves a high-value defensive center from the Timberwolves, pair him up with Donovan Mitchell, right? Ah. I think that might be an interesting pairing to see. (laughs) I think Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert would play nicely off each other because obviously their gameplay would complement each other. So it just makes sense to have the two of them as the centerpiece of what could totally be a championship roster. So I think they should just trade for Rudy Gobert, to be honest with
2: you. The Cleveland Jazz coming your way. That's right.
1: Let's do it. I don't... Mm -hmm. Why are we're hearing Phyllis's podcast. Let's just let's just move on. We we'll don't need that. We we'll <laughs> All right,
0: the Sixers move on. Obviously, um, some quite s- the big concern here. Joel Embiid has a knee injury. What I mean, what else is new? I, I tweeted this this weekend. I know all of you probably disagree with me, but like the, I think the NBA, like. I, I get that every sport has this, but I feel like it shows in the NBA so much more. The NBA just has an injury problem where, like, it, it feels like, especially this postseason, like six of the league's top ten players have missed significant time in the playoffs due to injuries, and that I, that's not good for the product. And I know they'll never shorten the regular season because. It makes them too much money, but, like, they they really should think about shortening the regular season if every playoffs you're going to get here and you're going to have players missing, like, two to three games a series in the biggest moments. But how do you all feel about Joel Embiid? Obviously, he's a guy with injury history. It's obviously helpful that they swept. They the I, I saw the dates from a Philly reporter that if the Celtics finish off the Hawks in Game 5 on Tuesday, I believe, the series will start on Saturday. So there's, and if that series goes longer, it starts May 1st. So how how do we feel about Joel Embiid? Do we think he'll be able to get back up to speed and get healthy by the time that Celtics series starts because that feels like a series where you're going to need your full team, your full roster healthy for most of it if you want to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I'll just let yeah. anyone jump in here.
2: It, it, it It's going to be interesting to see whether Embiid can go. I mean, Doc Rivers, when he was talking about it, didn't sound too enthusiastic about the injury. You know, I believe his words were, it doesn't look good. So, you know, we'll see what that means. I I would imagine the Sixers kind of play coy about exactly what this injury is and what the timeline is like. Um, You know, in the playoffs, you don't want to tip your hand to your opponent. So if he is going to be out, I assume we won't know until a day or two before the series starts. Um, And I think if you're a Sixers fan, you are just rooting for the Atlanta Hawks to take one or two more games and, and extend this series because um the more time you can give him the better and that's just what it's going to be if they don't have him you know boston's gonna i think annihilate them they have no chance without Embiid, obviously so uh, we'll have to see how it goes um
1: yeah i mean the injury bug yeah it is it is a bummer to see all these amazing players go especially Embiid, who unfortunately has a history with these types of things man i mean they the only way the Sixers beat the Celtics is if he plays him. Starting off a series in the injury, whether he's able to play the first game, like Doc Rivers said, 50%, or whether he's able to play, I don't know. They need him ASAP. It's already going to be a tough test for him, but, man, I just – they're not a, not not good for the Sixers. An already kind of up-and-down team, I think.
3: Well, cool. And the real question is, if that holds true and he is 50% for game one – If you're the Sixers, do you elect, okay, like, let's play with a hurt Embiid or let's just sit him and play for game two? And, like, which one do you think? Like, do you think that they would just make the situation worse by starting a hurt Embiid and still trying to run the offense through him in a way that he's less effective, kind of a la Ja Morant for the Grizzlies? Or does it hurt them to just completely, most likely, drop game one if he doesn't play? I feel like... You, if he's available,
0: well, I mean, I, I would say because they're lo- the lower seed, right? Uh, yeah. Like, I would say in that case, you rest and be then, because I think a huge part of that series is going to come down to just home court advantage. Like, I think the home teams are just going to, I I see that series playing out environment wise kind of the way this warriors kings series has played out like i just think the home team's gonna win every time and for for at least the first four games and if you just accept that and you say all right our job is just to take care of business and win our games at home then that gives you kind of a two-game cushion to make sure he's 100 percent and up and running and maybe you still you know, the first game or, or one of the second games, because I mean, it it's not like it's not like the Sixers. I do kind of want to dispel a take that I feel like all three of you had. I don't think the Sixers are are completely like 100 percent dead without Joel Embiid. I think Tyrese Maxey in particular has shown enough this postseason and last year for that matter that if James Harden plays okay, if Tyrese Maxey has good performances, and if Tobias Harris can continue to contribute the way he has the past few games, I think without Embiid, you can split a series on the road and go 1-1 into game three. I I, I don't think that's outside of the realm
3: of possibility. I think that, I think that's, a very fair point, especially since it's the Celtics who don't necessarily have their biggest threat being in the middle, being at center that like Joel and B would have the guard. It's not like they're going up against, you know, like Jokic and the Nuggets or something where it would be a huge gap at that position. So I, I definitely agree. I don't think they're necessarily like guaranteed dead without him. So yeah, maybe I was exaggerating a bit earlier, but yeah, I think, I think they have a shot, and I think you're right about the the environments playing a factor. The two most unhinged fan bases in in all of sports, really. They transcend whatever sport we're talking about in Boston and Philly. I think, yeah, this is definitely going to be a home court type of series. And, yeah, safe for the long haul. I really like that take, Eric. Briefly. That, Aramis? No, that, my
1: bad, man. That is a fair point, but I just... I just got bad juju with the James Harden history in these playoffs. Man, he's an amazing player, but something happens with Homeboy. It feels like in these postseasons, when his team needs him, that really plays against the idea of him being able to take care of home base. Like, some just an off night, something wrong happens with him. Like, he just, I don't know, ain't playing on his A game. And I think that, I think, I think another playoff issue will, hop, will pop up with him.
0: Briefly before we go to Celtics Hawks, the net season is over. Obviously, they have Audrey's favorite player and Mikael Bridges. Uh what, what's the offseason move? Obviously, you have basically a team full of wings, which is not a bad thing. And a point guard who, despite getting alpha'd by Kyle Kuzma on Twitter, is decent plus you have a ton of draft picks do you think they kind of deal some of these guys and just admit to the rebuild or do you think that ownership group is like hey it didn't work out with like kd and kyrie but like maybe if someone less volatile becomes available this summer we go out and we just try trade for another all-star because we're a New York market and we need to stay competitive like that. Wh- which way, uh, I'll start with you, Aramis, do you kind of see the Nets off season going?
1: am not quite sure. I see they the, clearly I'd like to build upon the success and I'd like to at most maybe trade a, train a Dinwoody for a nicer piece, a piece that fits more in with their timeline. At all costs, man, you got to keep Malik. You got to keep Malik Bridges there, man. He is I think the guy that they're going to be wanting to build in around going forward. You, you I don't said- know about
3: Malik Bridges, but I think Mikhail Bridges will be pretty great for them in the long haul, and they've got him locked up <laughs> until 2026 is when his contract's up, and then he's unrestricted. So I think, yeah, with that much capital in picks, you have uh, Cam Johnson's contract is up this summer. He's probably going to get a big extension. I think you can be comfortable letting him walk if you if you want to, or match and do a little sign and trade or something, but. I think to Eric's point, they have a lot of draft capital. Uh, they clearly have Mikhail Bridges, who is a future kind of guy, and they can build around. So I think just try to keep as many pieces as you can, gel together a super young core, and see what it looks like next year with an even more improved Mikhail and maybe another piece that you can trade for.
2: Hmm. I, I think the Nets are absolutely going to be aggressive in trying to stay competitive. What they've done, you know, even prior to the the KD Kyrie thing, when they had that team, you know, with when he was there the first time and D'Angelo Russell, they were always like trying to be competitive. They, you know, the Nets have a history of being really bad, you know, going back to that trade um, where they gave up all those picks for, you know, for, um, for Kevin Garnett and for Paul Pierce and all them. Right. So I just think that they're going to, continue to be competitive and an underrated part of this is that via the James Harden trade, they gave up a lot of their own first round picks. They got a lot of picks back in dealing away Kyrie and KD and, and Harden again. Right. But they had to give up a lot of stuff in order to get Harden on the team in the first place. And a lot of those were their own picks. So they can't really tank because their own first round stuff is tied up in trades. So I think they're going to continue to, to try to, you know, build a, a competitive roster and, uh, I will just throw out one thing that I saw today. Uh, this was a report from Michael Skoto, who is a like you know Brooklyn area NBA reporter. And he said that if Damian Lillard becomes available, the Nets are going to be in on that. So just throwing that out there. I don't know if Lillard's going to have to be traded, if that's going to happen. But uh, Brooklyn could be a sneaky, interesting team because they do have picks and contracts that they could potentially move. Um, that could be a possibility. Just throwing that one out.
3: Ben Simmons for Dame Dallas straight up.
2: Oh yeah.
0: All right. Boston Celtics today uh, behind another great performance from Jalen Brown. Take a three, one series lead on the Hawks who are just generally a tire fire. Uh, We can talk about them briefly in a second, but that feels like that's just going to get totally blown up this off season. Um, The Celtics, to me, like, I kind of lack analysis on the Celtics other than what I said last week in that they're a team full of adults and they just handled their business. And, of course, the explosive Trey Young game where Trey Young wins a game, that game came and they responded and they took care of business. I do have some long-term concerns with the Celtics in the fact that Jason Tatum has not been the same player he was at the start of the season for about like three months now. Something's up there where like he's just not scoring as easily as he did before. And I worry about that long term for the Celtics. I'm just slightly hesitant on their overall kind of build because it does feel like they are slightly worse defensively this year uh, as compared to last year's run and I I don't really know I think the east is super wide open way more wide open than we thought it was um, going in but I, I can't really articulate this take but does anyone else feel that way on this panel like Something just feels like, to me, like, maybe it's just because they're playing the Hawks, but it just feels like they're not fully developed to what their final form's going to be. I I don't really know. Ethan, do you, do you feel what I'm saying at all? I I just can't I can't get a read on the Celtics other than they're going to the second round probably.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I just would like to see the Celtics in, like, some high-intensity basketball games. Like, not that this first round has been boring, but, like, you talked about it. Like, there hasn't been a ton to take away from their series against the Hawks. Like, they've handled them pretty easily in three out of the four games. In game three, I think they kind of just lost focus a little bit. And the Hawks are, you know, they're not awesome, but I think they're a quality enough team. You would expect them to get one game in this series. So I wasn't, like, super shocked by that happening either. I think they should handle business in Game Five, and I'm just interested to see what type of game they're going to play against Philly because that's a real opponent to me. Like the East is top heavy. There, there's like three to four really quality, good basketball teams in the conference, and I, I just felt like the bottom of the conference was really weak this year. So we'll look to the second round to see how they look before I really decide whether or not this is a contender. But uh, you know, I, I I saw a tweet, I, I I tweeted this out myself yesterday where. Somebody had said, Oh, this team is so unserious. And I quoted it and said, That this tweet, I don't know who that person was referring to, but that could apply to literally every team in the league right now. Like it just seems like everybody is going through their stuff. Nobody has really felt comfortable in this first round, I guess, aside from Philly, but even they've had injury concerns. And, you know, we're looking at the score right now. It looks like Denver's probably going to drop this game to Minnesota. So, you know, everything is just kind of wide open. The East is open. So is the West. Uh we'll see where Boston ends up. And and like I said, I just like to see them play some high-stakes stuff in the second round. And I think that's what we're gonna get. So
0: anyone else we, we can kind of move on here. Anyone else with any thoughts on the Celtics? Okay. Uh the Hawks, some very interesting reporting came out today from some of their B writers that sounds like if and when they lose, that Quinn Snyder is just going to kind of clean house this offseason. Feels like they could give up on John Collins, Dejounte Murray, and Trey Young pretty much immediately, and uh, that's interesting. I wonder who would want to trade for Trey Young. He feels like a player that is volatile, as like a human.
3: Yeah, I think there's absolutely locker room concerns there. I, I think he also. I don't think he's necessarily a a lost cause. He he feels like the kind of guy who can get into the right system and the right locker room and, and believe in that system. I think uh, he's definitely contributed to some of the Hawks downfall, but at the same time, they didn't not really have the most solid of coaching switching up coaches pretty late in the year. I think, I think they it's not necessarily a lost cause, but if they are going to blow it up, I think they've got some good individual pieces that said, with John Collins, I'll I'll believe it when I see it because he's been on the trading block for them for like the last three years. And they just always like are very publicly shopping him around. And nothing ever happens, but it's like it, it's kind of like the like Miles Turner. Like there's always a there's always a possibility that he's a he's a piece in some random three-team trade. Uh so I don't know. I, I think I think blow it up is probably the best long-term move, but I don't think this team has reached its potential, and I think you need to give it at least one season of Quinn with at least most of these pieces before you really blow it all to bits.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Any idea on how much Trey Young is forcing the issue with wanting to get up out of there? Because I, I know DeJounte just signed. I'm pretty sure he'd be good for a couple more seasons and John Collins, same thing. But it feels like he's kind of ready to be up out of there like ASAP.
3: Uh, I, you know, I haven't heard of any rumors, but I, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, guys like to force trades and be in new environments. And that's uh very common these days in the NBA. So I would, uh, be far from surprised surprise that's what ends up happening.
2: It it honestly feels to me like it's just a partnership that doesn't work for either side. Like, I'm not sure that Atlanta is really happy with the way that Trey Young, like his attitude and all that, like, you know, you guys mentioned it, but there's been all these rumors about him not being great in the locker room. Um, even like you go back to like his second and third season in the NBA, he was like trying to force the front office to make more trades and get them to be competitive right away. Um, when that just wasn't really the timeline that they were on. So a trade of Trey Young would be fairly unprecedented. I mean, the only like close example we would have would be Donovan Mitchell, you know, a guy early into his second contract, um, getting out of the team that he's on. And, and, you know, there's already been rumors that Quinn Snyder doesn't like Trey Young as his star player. So is this an organization that's going to choose their coach over the star or are they just so tired of Trey Young that they're ready to move on? Absolutely. Yes, by the way, if yeah. if you've
0: kept close tabs on reporting out of Atlanta, like Quinn Snyder is maybe the most powerful coach in the NBA right now. Like I I saw some reporting from the ringers, Kevin O'Connell, uh, O'Connor, where he said he heard that Quinn basically has final say on the roster so like it does feel like I feel I feel like the Hawks have had enough of Trey Young and they like know he has a reputation as as a coach killer but they gave Quinn a massive contract like he has five years like this is not going to be something overnight I think they're fully signing up for some type of rebuild led by Quinn Snyder basically
3: So do you think the hiring of Quinn was kind of sending that message in general? Like, Hey, we're putting our foot down. Like we'll let you get rid of Nate McMillan. We'll let you, you know, like try out a new coach. But at the end of the day, this coach is going to be the final say over your fate. Or do you think they just, I'm overthinking it. They just went and got the best available coach. No, I think the
0: the former, I think you're right on. I think this was a message to Trey young to like get your shit together, bro. And like, it didn't really work. And I, I feel like I I would not be shocked if he got moved this this off season. Just feels like he's one of the guys that's kind of out there. All right. Finally, before we get to our longer conversation on on the Western Conference, Bucks Heat. I gotta ask. I haven't heard much about it other than I just Google Giannis status before every one of these games. But like, how worried are we that Giannis has basically missed all three of these games? Like, are they just being cautious because they know when they put Giannis back in the lineup, they're going to take care and dominate the heat? Or is there something more serious going on here? And should we be worried about Giannis, Audrey?
3: I mean, at this point, I think this last game has to be... Honestly, frankly, the first game should have been the wake-up call, and I think if they were just being cautious, they would have played him in Game 2 after opening up 0-1. Like 0-1. So I think, I think that kind of shows that it is something more serious, that they are worried about putting him in. Um, but this Game 3 has to absolutely be a slap in the face and a, a message that, hey, we are absolutely not winning this series without Giannis. Most likely, I mean, the the, the spread for the Bucs was pretty miserable. Uh, so right now, if he's if he's truly not healthy and truly can't play the next game. I don't really know if they're moving forward this year, if they're just being cautious and resting him good, set him back in there and let him go nuts and close out a series. But right now, I mean, they are down in this series. It is it is far from guaranteed. And I don't know. I'm worried about the Bucs.
0: Aramis, you are our our resident Heat fan here. I mean, you you have been preaching this all year that they are a team that you just do not want to see when they get to the playoffs. Jimmy Buckets showed up as he does this time of year and is routinely dropping 30 points, which is something very impressive in playoff basketball. How how do you feel about this series right now? I feel like you, amongst all of us, have been the one leading the Heat bandwagon all year.
1: Oh, yeah, I've been on them all year. It's just they are fucking annoying for these great teams that they're going to play up against. And you don't like – they should have been dead. They shouldn't have been as competitive as they've been. even with Giannis out, I would have expected, to be honest, with how the Heat have been playing – coming into the series, it to still them to still end up um, losing, maybe catch one or two games, but not feel like they're going to bounce out Milwaukee and kind of ruin their championship hopes in the season where everybody's kind of feeling them as the, the, like the best team in the league. Like, you don't, hmm. th- Duncan Robinson comes back from the dead. This whole team comes back from the dead. It just, it don't make no, you know, it shouldn't make no real sense, but this is what they do. they, I don't know if it's just they don't care about the regular season or what it is, but they're always ready to play when these games matter. When it when they when they get multiple games, I guess the series helps them out. I think understanding who they're playing helps them a lot.
0: Yeah, I I I'm pretty worried about the Bucks too. I honestly really bought into the hype this year. I did think they had the best roster going into the playoffs and it it has been shocking how small guys like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday have come up here in the postseason thus far like they both have one good game in game two and then it feels like they've kind of disappeared for the rest of the series and when Grayson Allen is starting to become one of your leading scorers like what what is what is happening like it, it feels like calamity is about to strike in Milwaukee if Giannis doesn't get back tomorrow night they it it just things are not positive right now Ethan
2: yeah it's just I mean the whole team revolves around Giannis man they're not going to win if he can't make it back and you know to your question about whether or not this is precautionary I I'm always of the view that in the playoffs if a guy is able to play, he's gonna play, um, especially in a tight series like this. Like you can excuse Joe Embiid missing Game Four up being up three zero, right? Like that's maybe a precautionary thing, but Giannis missing, you know, these pivotal Game Two and Three, and if he misses Game Four tomorrow, like it's clearly a real injury. You know, like if he can play, he'd be out there, and and if he can't, like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, they're elite complementary stars, but. When you're asking them to go out there and, and, you know, win playoff games against a battle-tested squad like the Miami Heat, like, without Giannis, this roster just is not built to really go anywhere. And they're in real trouble if Giannis can't come back. I think he will. I mean, from what I can tell, this injury doesn't seem like it should be that serious. But even if he misses one more game, they go down 3-1. Like, that is precarious. Having to win three in a row, just coming off an injury, that's going to be tough. So they are in real trouble. I'm with all of you.
0: All right. It feels like uh, w- w- we won't talk about either one of these teams' uh, off seasons until next week because this don't one, to, this one, and basically everything we're we're about to talk about in the West does feel like it's very up in the air right now. Um, let's start in the West with Grizzlies Lakers, and first off. Just admitting that uh, game three, I totally missed. I went to go see a baseball game and uh, went out on the town last night. So just watching the box score, like, what happened here? It feels like the the, the Grizzlies just got annihilated out of the gate. And then John Morant was like, okay, I'm just going to put up randomly 45 points in the second half, but we're still going to lose. And I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I guess I was way too confident in the Grizzlies going in like hand up. They tricked me down the stretch. Like I really thought they changed. Like I legitimately thought like, okay, this team is different now. Like they've grown up, they're they're more mature, but that, that just clearly isn't the case. And even though it's two one, I, I I don't know. I, I feel like We are like one great LeBron James game, which hasn't really happened yet. This series from this just being completely over, like I, I I am on Ethan's side. I mean, but the Grizzlies have not won anything and they are just a mess. And like, what do you even do at this point? Like, you're just... I don't know. I feel I feel lost on it.
3: Well, I I'll say this. I did watch the game last night, unfortunately. Um, It was bizarre. So, yeah, nine points from Memphis in the first quarter, which like, yikes, just on its own. And then I mean, they technically made it competitive score wise towards the end, but it never, ever, ever felt like Memphis was going to make any sort of serious run at it. Uh, I mean, the main narrative of the game, especially since we had the absolute privilege of watching the ESPN broadcast, like, uh, overcover the hell out of this, uh, was Dylan Brooks' comments after the end of uh, of Game 2, where he said LeBron's old and that he wishes he had, like, the chance to guard the, you know, the Miami and Cleveland versions of him when he was young and good and all this stuff. And then they just got so clowned. And then for so then Dylan Brooks comes in, you know, checks in, spends out a minute in the second half and then just blatantly like punches LeBron James in the nuts, gets tossed out of the game uh, and then refuses to talk to the media afterwards. I think this was a and then basketball. Did you, did you
0: see what he saw, what he said today?
3: No. What did he say?
0: He, he was like. I don't get it. You guys just portray me as a villain. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. Yeah, the
3: media makes you a villain. Yeah, like you're clearly trying to play the heel role and like it's good that for the record, I think it's great that he's doing that. I think it's it makes it a lot of fun and it makes for a lot of drama, but when you talk shit like that, you got to be able to back it up or at the very least take a loss like a, you know, like a professional and he just got laughed out of the crypto.com arena and it was it was embarrassing. Uh, I think they they got morally just crushed, and that's coming from a Suns fan and what happened to us last year at the hands of Luka Doncic. Like, I know how horrible that can be for a team and team chemistry. Like, I don't know if there's a... Yeah, it, it, it looks really rough for Memphis. And, and this is exactly what I was talking about with rushing Stars back from injuries because they rushed Jaw back, and he was noticeably hurt and couldn't handle the ball. But they still wanted to run the offense through him because he's jaw. And then look what happens. Like it just, it was such a catastrophe. And then, sorry, this is a long tangent here. But, and then at the end, to to have Taylor Jenkins let Ja Morant play the last like five, six, seven minutes of that game when they were clearly going to lose. And I get it, it's the playoffs. You want to always try if you have a mathematical chance, but. He was gripping his hand in pain. He was limping. He tweaked his ankle coming off a play. Like, get this guy out of here. What are you doing letting him play these minutes? This game is over. And it just screamed of just bad management and bad long-term thinking from the Grizzlies. And, oh, it made me nervous
1: about them. Kind of like a point you brought up, Eric, this is really when you need an adult in the room, when you have a Dylan Brooks talking shit, getting everybody even more turned up for a game where you're playing against other professionals, like, that's a bad look already. Like, Audrey mentioned Josh staying out there, tweaking his hand, like, I think it was like the second or third quarter where he tweaked it and was holding that, wandering around like that. It's just, you need... This is the prime example where you need a vet, like some vets or some actual leadership, what Steven Adams probably would have brought if he was out there with the guys. And that's that's really what's killing them. Man, That's really killing them this series.
2: Yeah, I I emphatically agree with that, with the Steven Adams thing, like he can be there in the locker room and talk to them, whatever. And I'm sure that what he does is valuable. I trust Steven Adams as my vet. But you know, not only having him out there on the court to rebound and to defend Anthony Davis, all that stuff is valuable, but just calming them down in these big moments and, and, you know, being there for the guys when, when things are going wrong. Right. I just think that they need a vet. And, and I talked about this last week, but they let Kyle Anderson go in free agency. And that's, I think a mistake that, that has come back to bite them this year and they're going to need to find a guy because it just seems so clear to me that this culture that John Morant has set. Desmond Bain continues to, you know, egg on the opposing team. We've covered Dylan Brooks extensively. Like it's just how these guys are for better or for worse. And it got them into trouble last year. And it's looking like it's going to do it again this season. So this is who the Grizzlies are. And if they really want to be a contender, they're going to have to have a reality check because this is not it. On the Lakers, Aramis. This
0: is going to sound like I'm being a hater, but I I promise I'm doing my best not to be. Why has LeBron not been a bigger part of this series?
1: 38 years old. He's old as shit. What else do you want me to say, bro? Like, he – I don't know. I don't know. It feels like even though he's not been as big a part of this series, the Lakers seem to be playing team ball. What a concept in a team sport that your teammates would help you play and win games. Um Uh, Oh, my God. The second coming of Alex Caruso, whatever his name is, is going to the free throw line like James Harden in Houston. Um, Dennis Schroeder is playing ball for them. Anthony Davis, even though he crumbles like a deer every couple of quarters, is going out and really making plays for them. And Rui.
3: Don't forget Rui.
1: Yes. Yes, Rui. They're like (laughs) opposite of the Grizzlies. There are adults in the room telling everybody what to do, showing everybody where to be, and it's counting for that team. I don't uh, to LeBron James point. I'm I don't know. I, he's gonna have a big game if the series continues like this, especially maybe drop forty in uh, Memphis for Dylan Brooks to give him a nice how you do. But like, if they can roll like this, man, I think this is really the key to their success throughout the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I've been like super impressed that they are just really good at defense. Like, both teams always attract me, and they guard the kids like it's just that simple and it's it's impressive to watch and I knew this would happen like I knew that like I, I might get tricked into like at some point slightly falling in love with the Lakers which is just like a no-win scenario for me on any front so yeah that Aramis that's something that is slowly happening I'm not quite there yet but the Grizzlies are so unlikable that I am slightly cheering for LeBron James. Hopefully, I hopefully they run into like the Kings or the Warriors, uh, which which I will, uh, because I like both those teams much more than I than I like LeBron. So, uh, but yeah, I mean it. It's been a it's been a, an interesting series. That one. Anyone else with other thoughts on this series that we haven't covered, or can we move on here? Cool. Let's move on to. Suns Clippers. I guess I should have. I said most of the series aren't done yet. Uh, It it does feel like this one's kind of done. And I mean, I don't know. I think we got to start with talking about just the fact that Kawhi's hurt again. Like, and badly. And very badly. Like, he, he was noticeably hurt. In game two, couldn't really get around, misses game three and game four. My guess is he probably misses game five. And the Suns are cool. Like, the, w- w- Audrey, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the Suns in this segment, but I'm just way more interested in the Clippers because I, I just want to do their postmortem first because I, I do believe that the Clippers are dead. Like, despite Russell Westbrook. Like, one, the Suns are doing a terrible job of defending Russell Westbrook. How are you letting a guy with no jump shot get to the rim as consistently as Russell Westbrook has been able to get to the rim over these past two games? That has been a little bit concerning for me, but I guess I I shouldn't be surprised. The Suns don't really have any defenders. But, like, the Clippers, this era for them, no matter how you slice it, has just been defined by the fact that their two biggest stars have played, like, 22% of the games that they've had together and in the biggest moments kind of fall apart. And they're competitive, and they still have role players like Terrence Mann and Powell have been good this series, but, like, what do you do here? Because Kawhi's not getting younger, and, like, everyone, like, if you listen to, like inside guys like Kendrick Perkins and like uh who what's his face old man in the three JJ Redick like there have been people that from like basically day one in San Antonio have been like Kawhi has major problems with his knees and like he just he they get injured easily and he kind of moves like a six-year-old man when the knees give out and it's like what do you do if this is if this is how it's going to play out, like, because Kawhi's not getting younger. And like, I, I I know the Stephen A. Smith, you know, take is ridiculous or whatever. But like, at what point do you just like, if you're Kawhi Leonard, do you say like, okay, I keep suffering these catastrophic knee injuries, like, I guess I've got to retire. Like, I I don't, I don't understand where the Clippers go from here. They feel like, Somehow, some way, like at least the Grizzlies have some young players that they could like deal and get assets for if they really wanted to blow it. Like the Clippers, kind of have nothing right now. Like, like I, I, I feel like they are in the worst spot of any of these teams who are about to lose in the first round. Ethan,
2: yeah, I mean, this is what like the fourth or the fifth season of this iteration of the Clippers. And every single year, except for one, it has ended this way. Um, It's been injuries to Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. Um, The one year that that didn't happen, they blew a 3-1 lead to Denver in the bubble. And it's just been, you know, one blow after another for for this roster. I'm with you, Eric. I, I just don't know, like, what the plan can be other than just cross your fingers and hope the guys are healthy in April. But the track record states that that's probably not going to happen. So, um, we'll have to see I, I anticipate most likely some major changes to their roster i don't know if that means either of the two stars are getting moved but they have some contracts they can kind of shuffle the deck a little bit but at the end of the day it's going to come down to them staying healthy and uh, you know it sucks but this is just the reality of the situation and and i don't know what else they can do other than just hope for the best i guess
0: hmm. audrey you've watched a lot of the
2: yeah, I
3: mean, I don't know. I, I think it's a little too early to to consider the Clippers done, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to come out of this series, but the Suns are looking really shaky, and they got me really worried. I mean, we we almost lost that last game uh, to a Clippers team whose best player is Russell Westbrook, who's at, who's playing incredibly well, looking like the 2016-17-ish version of himself, looking unstoppable. Um and I'm, I'm glad for him. I think he deserves to have this after the generational slander received in it, it, with the Lakers. I mean, by myself included, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think, I don't know. There's not much more to say. I, I think PG and Kawhi got to stay healthy. I think you're, you're dead on about San Antonio uh, being the originator of his long-term injury concerns. That was part of the rift that he had with the team was over those injuries. And I don't know. I, I, I don't think they're making it past the Suns here, but I really worry about the Suns' ability to go forward after this. Uh, they just don't seem like they have it glued together.
1: Aramis? Um, yeah, the, the pretty much on par with what Ethan and Audrey said there. And you, of course, my friend Eric, um, they're cooked. They feel like they're, this experiment has been a big, gigantic failure, and it's gonna be interesting for a CBA agreements and and stuff like that. How the league and owners are gonna to respond to this and the Brooklyn Nets situation, as far as just trying to throw together just a super team and expecting them to win when both have been catastrophic failures. So that's that's what I think is going to be really interesting coming in the coming years. But yeah, RP to the clip. Shout out to Russell Westbrook. The Suns.
0: You know, I know you you said you have concerns, Audrey, but it is, I mean, I don't know if I have the same concern. Do I think they can win a title? No. But, like, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are playing insanely good basketball right now. Um, Devin Booker in particular has just been a monster in this series. And I think if, you know, they're going to run into the Nuggets likely and I mean I I don't know I I, like I I like the Nuggets very team I I generally cheer for but like they are kind of still the jazz in my mind of of last year like they have not done it in the playoffs yet really like they they that has not happened and KD has absolutely done it in the playoffs before as has Devin Booker as has Chris Paul I don't know I I feel like they get slightly better each game offensively, at least defensively, there's not much improvement, but like, I I feel pretty good about them still as a team that I, I would say would be my favorite to be a Western conference finalist. Like, I don't, I don't know if they can make it past, you know, the Lakers, if they get there or the Warriors, if they get there, or even the Kings for that matter, if they get there, like, I think all three of those teams on the lower half of the bracket or whatever pose massive threats to the Suns, but I don't know. I, I just want to see what happens with, with Denver. Like they're, they're in OT right now against Minnesota. I'm sure we'll talk about them in in a second briefly, but I think that is going to be – to me, the, the series I'm most fascinated by in the West, because I, I do feel like I, I still give the, the edge to the Suns at that point. I don't I don't know if, if all of you
2: feel the same or not. I mean, you mentioned it, like you were already kind of looking ahead to the other side of the bracket, um, but I, I would worry about the Denver Nuggets first. That's going to be a hell of a series, uh, assuming that's what we're going to get in the second round. But with Phoenix, you know, the concerns are the same for me as they were last week. I'm not sure if they're there depth wise. Um, You worry about injuries as they get deeper into the playoffs to guys like Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. Um, And, you know, but we, we, we've talked about this. The West is wide open. Um, They have as good of a chance as anybody. Um, And all I got to say is just tip the ball up, man. And we'll see who ends up being the better team. So I am looking forward to the potential Suns nugget series in the next round. Um, Nothing cited, decided yet, but, it's looking like that's the way we're trending, and and I think that's going to be a really good one.
0: Okay, finally here. Uh, obviously, I, what I think has been just by far the best series in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Knicks, Cavs has been entertaining, but nothing has been as competitive as Golden State, Sacramento. I do just want to say, and and Ethan, you you can back this up. They got really lucky not to be down three one. Like yeah, but like. I don't Steph Curry is a great player and a hall of famer and maybe one of the top five players of all time but that was a really stupid decision to shoot that early with that much time left on the clock like I get it you have confidence in yourself you're the best shooter of all time but
2: like. That could have ended very, it, very, very poorly. The, the worst the, one was the timeout or. when they had no timeouts. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, both Steve Curry and Draymond Green kind of fell on the sword after the game for that one. But yes, bad mental error. But you, you escape with the win. Uh, they almost snatched defeat from the jaws of victory as they have so many times this season. Um, but the way I look at it, Barnes had a chance to win the game there just as Wiggins had a chance to win the game in game one. So I think both these teams are feeling like they should be up 3-1 right now. um, And both of them could also be feeling very lucky they're not down 1-3. So it, it just, that's the kind of series that it's been. And uh, we've got a three-game series coming up, so.
0: Draymond Green. I just, obviously, you cannot talk about the Warriors without talking about Draymond Green. I thought there was... We're very interesting. I love Doris Burke. She does a great job. I thought she brought up some really interesting points on the broadcast today. I don't know if you caught this segment or not, Ethan, but like where she talked about the fact that there might be major changes coming to this roster this offseason. Can you just talk me through as a Warriors fan? Obviously, Draymond Green has this rap as an instigator and kind of a dirty player, but obviously good defensively but as someone who has seen him come up as a player get drafted become one of the best defensive players in the league be part of four of four rings like what does Draymond Green mean to the Warriors what fundamentally changes when he's on the team and do you think they could move on from him and and still have success
2: Um, no, (laughs) he's, he's, you know, the heartbeat of the dynasty. He's the emotional leader of the team. He rubs people the wrong way. Sometimes he, you know, has bad games often, you know, he's up and down, you know, he, he got benched down the stretch of, of the fourth quarter in one of those finals games last year, but he also made some big plays to win them that series. Steve Kerr said it the other day, they don't have any of those rings without Draymond green. I mean, we're never going to know like what it would have looked like if he is not on the team, but it's an entirely different story. And, you know, I I, I think that they're probably going to have to figure out a way to keep him in terms of the financials and he's got a player option and all of that. Those are questions for two, three months from now. Um, But, you know, when you have a core of guys with, with Thompson and Curry and Draymond, that have won so many games together. I just I find it difficult to justify breaking that up for any reason. So I just think that they are going to do what they can to keep him. And if he does end up leaving, I I doubt that they will win another title. Um, with during the rest of these guys' careers. So, that's how I feel. Hmm. Interesting. Any other thoughts
0: on this series here? I I do feel like there's a there's a lot to get to, but honestly, it's been one of those kind of things where. All these games have been so good and competitive. They've all just kind of, for me, blended into one compendium of things because it does feel like the same thing keeps happening over and over and over again in these games. And they all play out almost identically, except for maybe like that third quarter stretching game three, where the Warriors pull away. Like, what are some of your main thoughts from this series? Audrey, sorry.
3: No worries. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, have absolutely adored the series. It's been insane. I think it's, uh, it's very warriors, uh, losing two on the road and then picking up two at home. Um, so, I mean, I don't know that that strategy can't really math out for you in the seven game series. You're going to have to win at least one on the road, uh, as the lower seeded team. I think god I don't know I go I, I feel like the the landscape of this series changes every day for me like I, I sometimes I'm thinking oh the kings are going to stomp on through sometimes I'm thinking oh it's the warriors here they come again it's you know they're going to do their thing and man it's just been such a treat to have as an NBA fan and such a fantastic first round series and you can just feel the emotion and the just investment in the series by both fan bases for two very different reasons it's just it feels so poetic and it, it it's a wonderful series. I really don't have much to say beyond that. It, it's, it's just fantastic to watch and it's uh it's fantastic basketball.
1: Aramis, any thoughts on this series? I'll just mirror what Michael said. It is an amazing series to get from the basketball guys. I'm really happy though. This is De'Aaron. F- I'm a De'Aaron Fox fan. I'm glad this is his debut in the playoffs. I'm glad this is this Kings um, debut in the playoffs that they're having such a wonderful showing against the Warriors. Um, Actually, Ethan, I kind of got a question for you. Do you – with the Warriors being how they were all season and the road issues that they've had, did we listen to them telling us who they are and think that this is going to be an issue? And, if, and they win a road game. I know they need to to advance, but can they?
2: I mean, at this point, who knows, dude? Like it's been all season long. I've been like, okay, this is where they flip the switch. This is where they figure it out. This is where they start to put it together. And during the last 10 games of the season, they went eight and two, won a couple of big games on the road, specifically that one in Dallas comes to mind. And you're like, okay, they've done it now that they're they're ready. But then you go to the first two games of this series and they, you know, they lose them both in pretty stupid fashion. I don't know, man. I would like to believe that they can win a a game five or a game seven in Sacramento, but it's just up to them. I, they have the track record. We've talked about this extensively. If anybody can break this curse, it's the Warriors, but they haven't done it yet. So we're just going to have to wait and see. Warriors yeah. it, it, it
0: does feel like this I'm with Ethan. Like Ethan's just had the read on the Warriors all all year. I mean, it it makes sense he's a Warriors fan. But like if this thing goes 7, I'm pretty sure they're losing game 7. Like uh, I'm pretty sure that's what ends up happening. To win, they need to win these next two games and basically reverse sweep or whatever you want to call it after losing, but for after losing the first two, like Because one, the Sacramento environment is just such a cheat code for the Kings in this series. It does feel like it flusters the the Warriors a little bit, despite being a team that has all this playoff acumen. I don't know. This is a good transition point for us. Uh, We'll we'll touch briefly on Nuggets, T-Wolves, but I did want to give us a chance to just We'll continue doing this throughout the playoffs. Just pick how we're feeling on each series that is still going. But I, I do, I don't know, Ethan, I don't know if you have the same fear, but I fear that, like, they're just going to get, like, generational performances from Steph Curry a few more times in this series. But ultimately, they're, they're just going to lose Game 7. Like, that's that's where this is heading. Like I, I have, (laughs) I have no confidence they can win a road game seven in Sacramento. I just, I don't know
2: if we're at the no confidence level, but I certainly don't want to have to deal with the game seven. So preferably they just win games five and six and we wash our hands and move on to the next round. But, uh, you know, if any team can come up big, uh, in a hostile environment on the road, theoretically, it should be the team that has won four titles in the last eight years, um, but again, their track record this year doesn't necessarily dictate that that's what may happen. Um, if game seven does occur, it will probably take five years off my life. Um, so I'm really hoping that they can just pull this one together. Um, especially going against the team like Sacramento, man, I just got to give a big shout out to De'Aaron Fox because when loser draw, that guy has shown up and he is a star. I just have so much respect for him now, um, after the way he's played in this series. And I do not want to be in a close game situation on the road in Sacramento with Fox having the ball in his hands, because that has been the worst place to be this year. He won the clutch player of the year award for a reason. So yikes. All right. Briefly,
0: uh, the T-Wolves just won a thriller. They they tried to lose it in the final two minutes, but ended up winning still probably not going to win the series. Nikola Jokic, has his crazy game of the series where he drops 43. Anthony Edwards has 34. I don't have a ton more to say on this series other than what I said earlier about the Nuggets. I want to see it in round two before I get fully on board. But if they do win round two, I will fully admit that they should be the favorites to come out of the West. But I I just want to see it first. As far as the Timberwolves go, it does feel like they've gotten slightly more cohesive. Since the last time we we talked, I know it was only Game One last time, but like, obviously you can't really move on from Rudy Gobert this offseason. Like you're kind of you're kind of tied to him. Anthony Edwards, I still feel like there's a chance that he's a guy that asked for a trade in three months, even though the max contract is coming. I get that, but I don't know. Just feels like he he. that's just all speculation by me but how do we feel about the T-Wolves I don't have a ton to say about this series this has been the series I've been most bored by other than I I I did want to get throw out a comparison I think Jamal Murray gets kind of slept on as a point guard he kind of reminds me a little bit not like in the same way that he's mastered the position but he does kind of Remind me a little bit of like Chris Paul in that he's a player that does everything but point guard's supposed to do pretty well. Like he's a pretty good scorer, he's a pretty good passer, he defends well. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all I really have to say on uh, on uh, Nuggets T Wolves. Ethan, it looks like you had something on the tip of your tongue.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Wolves continue to like blow every single possible game. I mean, they won tonight, but they were up like 10 with a minute and a half to go in regulation and still needed overtime to win. Uh and almost blew it again in overtime before Anthony Edwards hit a dagger. So um this this roster, like they did this last year against Memphis too. They would go up like 10, 15 points and blow every single game. So um obviously they're not getting out of this series. We'll see what this offseason looks like for them. I wonder if they entertain a Carl Anthony Towns trade. Um because you know just throwing that out there we know the reasons why that might be the case um i think edwards is a star i think he's there to stay at least you know for a couple more years as long as they can continue to build on this but we'll see where they end up um that's my thoughts on the wolves audrey anything
3: yeah i think you know i'm i i say i'll say i'm I'm impressed by the timberwolves i think they did a lot more than i thought they were going to this series um I'm still pretty confident in the Nuggets to to go the distance against them, and and frankly, to give whoever's next up for them in the in the second round a lot of trouble. But I think you you said it so well. Like we just need to see what it looks like in the second round. Uh, they have a lot to prove, and but I, I think this if any year is the year for the Nuggets, it could be this one. You finally got everybody pretty healthy. Uh, you got a good situation. So I don't know. I think they can. I think they have a lot of room here to give it a real run. I'm 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 very high on the Nuggets. Denver joke not intended.
0: All right, let's wrap up here and get out of here again. I appreciate all of you giving me your time on these on these Sunday nights as we go down the stretch here. Uh, we'll start with the series that they kind of have uh, that have the three one leads. Uh, just around everyone, I'm I'll make a consensus pick first here. We're we're all pretty confident Celtics in five, correct? But that would be an accurate assessment. Yeah, getting some head nods, yeah. So that looks good. And uh Nuggets in five, probably. They go back to Denver home home crowd goes nuts, and they take care of business fare. Does anyone feel slightly shaky about the Suns, or is this done in five? To me, I, I feel like maybe the Clippers win uh game five, but I I think that. To me, this is the Suns in six.
3: I'm pretty confident we're going. Uh, I, don't, I think we're going to six. I think the Clippers pick up the nice game. Unfortunately,
2: it's uh uh I I don't know, man. We'll we'll see on Kawhi's health. I I mean, mm-hmm. I I assume he doesn't play, but if he does, maybe there's a chance. Um, I think the Suns probably handle business at home in Game Five, but.
1: It'll go either yeah. way, Aramis. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with the with the Suns. They got too much. They're a little too much for the Clippers, being as injured as they are right now. So pretty simple. Okay.
0: The uh, the Grizzlies Lakers does feel like uh, LA will probably win tomorrow night, take a three one series lead. But I don't think the Memphis. But one thing about them this year is they have been a truly unbeatable home team They, I think they only lost like six games at home this year, uh, which is pretty impressive. I do think this probably goes six, but I think the Lakers end up taking care of business in game six in LA. And, uh, and we see the Lakers move on in six, Ethan.
2: Yeah, I think I'm inclined to agree. Six games. Um, I would not be shocked to see this going seven Memphis could get hot from three and, and, you know, mess around, but uh, I think I'll rock out with Lakers in six as well. Audrey. Agreed. I, I
3: actually am fully on board with the Lakers moving moving on, unfortunately.
0: Okay, Aramis, are you with us? Or yeah. You... Yeah. Okay.
1: Oh cool. My bad, man. My bad. Yeah. Um no. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Lakers should should take care of business. I will throw in the caveat. If the Grizzlies cannot be scary on the Lakers home floor, maybe they could make it interesting. But no, it should be the Lakers. Okay.
0: Kings Warriors I you know I said it before uh, but I uh, last week I I have Warriors in 7 I've I've flipped I think the Kings win a game 7 I'll I'll say Kings Kings in 7 I know which way Ethan's going uh li- likely he'll never Six Warriors them. in 6 let's Warriors go Warriors
3: in 6 Audrey where are you at with this series Oh to be so delusional no I I'm with you Eric Kings in 7
1: Aramis yeah I'm going to I'm rocking with Ethan and the Dubs, man. Dubs and um Dubs and Six. Hopefully they can take care of business. All right. And then finally, obviously the big
0: question is Giannis. I'm just going to do what I've done. As I said before, I'm going to Google Giannis on Takumbo injury. Let's see what pops up. Questionable for game four. I guess that's... I guess that's what, what we what we have. Uh, this one's the hardest one to get a read on, but I do just want to see how we all feel about B- Boressa way this series plays out. So I'll finish last. Aramis, you
1: go ahead. Um, He in seven. Why not?
2: All right. Ethan? I mean, I don't want to cop out and say it depends on Giannis' health, but it entirely does. Um, Just my well, guess make, says, make a
0: prediction on Giannis health. Though.
2: I think he comes back and the Bucks win in seven.
3: Okay, Audrey. I think he comes back and the Bucks win in six.
2: Yeah,
0: it it really does all come down to tomorrow night. I think if Giannis plays, uh, I'm with Audrey. It's Bucs Bucks in six. They'll they'll take control of the series, and kind of wake up. But if he doesn't play like that game four, he'll. Unless he's just out for the season, he'll be forced to play in game five. I feel pretty confident that the Bucks win a game five and a game six. But in that case, I'd go with Aramis and I'd take Heat in seven. So I, I it, it all really does come down to tomorrow night, which is um, something to keep an eye on. Well, I appreciate you all. Thank you for so much for joining me. I know this one uh, went a little late. Uh, as uh, Nuggets, uh, T-Wolves dragged all the way into overtime. But I figure um, just as a a piece of housekeeping uh, next weekend, uh, well, one, if you're listening to this, it's also the football channel. A lot of football content this week. We'll have a mock draft on Tuesday, which is always fun. And then Thursday night, we'll do some round one coverage. And then two episodes Sunday during the day, I'll record our kind of off-season recap and do draft winners and losers. And then Sunday night, if you all are around, we will jump back into it. And then I will take my uh, annual podcasting vacation through the month of May. But I will say, we'll probably reconvene uh, the week, the first weekend of May, I'm out of town, so we won't obviously do any podcasting but my guess is as we will do you know one show a week for once we get to may we get to like two games a night basically and we can kind of transition into just talking about it whenever series ends so expect that to happen but we'll do one more uh, weekly show like this next week and then yeah yeah, that'll that'll be good so thank you all again for joining me follow us on twitter at endzone pod you can follow ethan on twitter at splash city nba audrey i don't know if you wanted to plug your twitter or not uh so i'll, I'll leave that up to you send it disliker and then aramis uh 09 correct uh yeah i believe so okay great with that have a great evening we will see you on tuesday get ready for nfl draft week it's gonna be a ton of fun Thank you all for listening, peace out, and have a good night.